you realize that when we get finished uh, chapter 8, we will be about 35%, more than a third through the book. Okay, book has 22 chapters. So we are really going to start moving along about a chapter a week pace. And for those of you who are new with us, we have uh, learned that John is writing to seven churches in Asia Minor who are going to go through some suffering and persecution, and he is encouraging them to stay faithful to the Lord, not bow the knee to the Roman Empire or to Caesar or the Roman gods, and if they do, they will be vindicated at the end, and God will take care of them, and uh, they will enter the kingdom of God, but those that side with the Roman Empire and compromise their faith will suffer with the Roman Empire in the ultimate judgment. So... Uh, he is, uh, sees in his vision, he has a series of visions, and he sees in his vision a scroll that has seven seals on it, and Christ begins to open each one of the seals. And we finished six of the seals. And we haven't, uh, and the seals are basically what we call uh, previews uh, of coming attractions on planet Earth. What's going to happen on planet Earth? Well, God's going to pour out his judgment. And uh, each one of these seals gives you a little introduction to what's going to happen. And there's still one seal left to open, and we're going to open that seal today. So uh, when he opens the seal, okay, let's just open that seal. Look at verse 1. Look at 8, 1. And when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. So what happens is that he opens this last seal, the seal in itself, begins to unfurl. See, it just starts opening up on its own. And evidently when it opens up, they start seeing what's inside the seal, and it says there's silence in heaven for a half hour. Now, what in the world does that mean that there's silence in heaven for a half hour? That means the people uh, go like, when they see it, they can't speak. They've lost their voice when they, when the when the seal just breaks open, they sort of lose their voice. Uh, we're not told what they seal. We're, see, we're only told how they respond. They respond by silence. Now, one commentator said this is the silence before the storm. This is the silence that you experience before the tornado hits. It's just this eerie silence. And then, man, it's like the train comes through your living room. And uh, the, the sound is deafening. And everything is destroyed uh, in its path. So it could be the silence before the storm. Uh, another commentator says, no, it's like uh, the bated breath in a courtroom. As the chairman of the jury stands up to deliver the verdict, suddenly there's this hush. That would be the silence of anticipation. What's going to be the verdict? Well, these people know what's going to happen. They've already been told it's going to be judgment. So I don't think it's that. I don't think it's a silence before the storm. And I don't even think it's a silence of anticipation. So I was trying to think, what kind of silence is this? And my mind went back. For those of you who are my age or older, you will remember this. When President Richard Nixon was being impeached. And if you were like me, had some time on your hands, and you were glued to the television set, 
and now they are casting their votes. At that time I was living in Maryland, I remember my senator, Paul Sarbanes, casting his vote to impeach, and there was dead silence in the chamber, in the House chamber. And I remember my senator, when they said, Senator Sarbanes, and he choked up, and he said, yay, impeach. And his voice cracked, and there was a tear coming down his eye, and there was just this dreaded silence. Not the silence of anticipation, they all knew he was going to be impeached. Not the silence before the storm. This was a solemn silence of sadness because of what was happening. This was the, the outcome of this man's dealing. And it was that kind of a silence. And they know something's coming, and it's not that they anticipate and say, oh boy, here it comes. Here comes the verdict. It's knowing what's coming causes that somber silence, that sad silence. Now that makes sense to me. Now what a contrast between chapter 7 and this chapter, when in chapter 7 they're all shouting and screaming and praising the Lord and worshiping the Lord and they're real loud. Suddenly that exuberance and that excitement gives way to this silence. And So I go back to the Old Testament and I discover that there was a passage in Zephaniah, the prophet, and God is speaking through him, and he says, Be silent in the presence of the Lord, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and I will visit my wrath upon the princes and upon the sons of the kings. And this is a sad day in the life of Israel, and it is silent. And this is a sad day for planet Earth, and this is nothing to, to rejoice over. Now, it's very interesting that this judgment... <coughs> Uh, which is going to come, doesn't come right away. All the people in heaven do is this will get, get a glimpse of it. So, what we have here, beginning in verses 2 through 6, uh, is a section that I'm going to call Preparation for the Trumpets. Okay? Preparation for the Trumpets. These six seal opens and trumpets are going to be blown. Now, these trumpets do not produce the judgment. All these trumpets do is announce the judgment. See, you know something's coming when you hear a trumpet. So the trumpets don't produce the judgment. All they do is warn of the judgment. They come before the judgment falls. So they are, these trumpets which are blown are blown to get your attention. Okay. And that's important. And once they have your attention saying, duh, 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 judgment's falling, that still provides you with the opportunity to repent. So John's vision of trumpets blowing are designed to get those who read this book, uh, give them time to repent, to get their lives in order so they don't have to face the judgment. Does that make sense? So the trumpets don't bring the judgment. The trumpets announce the judgment. The judgments don't come until the bowls of God's wrath are poured out upon the earth. 
So we had the seals, which are previews, coming attraction. You have the trumpets, du, 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 announce the judgments, prepare you for the judgments, or prepare you to repent. And then the bowls of God's wrath are then poured out upon the earth. So, that's how we need to look at this, and when we look at it this way, things make sense. Now, I want you to notice that the trumpet judgments are not separate from the seals. You have seals that are open, trumpets that are blown, and bowls that are poured out. The trumpets are not separate from the seals. The last seal was opened, and out of the last seal comes the trumpets. So the trumpets are part of that last seal. It's like sending a firecracker up in the air on the 4th of July. That goes up and then guess what happens? Out of that one firecracker comes seven different streams. And then out of that last stream, right when you think it's all dying down, out of that last stream comes another stream. So you have a seal, a sixth Seven seals open, out come the trumpets, the seventh trumpet is blown, and out come the bowls. And so, these are all interconnected, and once we get into this, you'll see how all that works. Now, who blows the trumpets here? Look what it says in verse 2. Verse 2. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Now I want you to notice there's a definite article in front of the word seven angels. You see that? The seven angels. Which seven angels? Well, in Bible times, the Jews believed that there was a category of angels called the angels of the presence. Stood in the presence of God. They believed there were seven of them and each one had a name. Raphael, Uriel, you've heard of these, Gabriel, uh, all these names that you've heard of, but most of them do not appear in the Bible. Only two angels are mentioned in the Bible. Good angels. That would be Gabriel and Michael, and one bad, Lucifer. But the Jews believed in seven. You said, where did they get those names? Well, they got those names out of other books. First Enoch. And all ancient writings. Not part of the Bible, so they're not mentioned in the Bible, but it doesn't matter. What matters is, that's what the Jews believed. So, John in his vision, guess what he sees? He sees the seven angels in his vision. And they are given trumpets. Now, if they're given trumpets, they don't have that. Somebody provides them with these trumpets. Now, I want you to notice how verse 2 opens up, how it's introduced. He says, and I what? So, this begins another in his vision. Uh, Revelation is not a vision, it is a series of visions. And so he sees the seals open up, that's a vision, now he has this vision of trumpets. Okay? So he says, I saw, and then he says in verse 3, and then another angel having a golden censer, now what is a censer? Well, if you've ever been to a high uh, Greek Orthodox church, or you've been to a Catholic funeral, or you watch the Pope on you know, Christmas Eve you know, services, carry some sort of censer, you know, and that's that thing that has smoke in it. And uh, John sees a censer in his vision. And this angel with a golden censer stood at the altar. And he was given much incense. For what purpose? That he should offer it with the prayers of the saints. 
upon the golden altar which was before the throne. So he has a censer with incense. And they're mixed. This incense is mixed with the prayers of the saints. Which saints? The ones on earth. Why are they praying? Because they're being persecuted. And to make their prayers acceptable to God, a sweet savor to God, the angel mixes the prayers in this censer with the incense and the smoke goes up to God and it's pleasing to God and so our prayers become pleasing to God. King David said, let my prayers be to you as incense in Psalm 141. And then in verse 4 it says, and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Now, when you look at this picture, you're looking at a picture if this were not in the New Testament and it weren't a vision and it wasn't happening in heaven because this vision he's taking place in heaven you would think that he was looking at something like an Old Testament picture of the tabernacle because that's what the priest did priest worked, served at the altar of incense but it's not a priest doing it here who's doing it? it's an angel servant so you'd think it had been Jesus, our high priest in heaven, doing this, wouldn't you? But not in this vision. In this vision, it's the angel serving, and it takes place in heaven, not on earth. Then, verse 5 says, the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar. <clears throat> I guess the probably the altar of incense where the burning incense is heating up, and he threw that fire to the earth. Now what's happening here? This angel throws the fire from the incense on the earth. Now, what does this incense represent? Prayers. This is God's response to the prayers of the people. And he's throwing fire upon the earth. So what's happening here, remember back in chapter 6, the people who were being persecuted on earth were saying, in John's vision now, in his vision they were saying, How long, O Lord, how long do we have to go through this? How long before you avenge our blood? Remember that passage? Well, this is God's response right here. In his vision, John sees a judgment coming upon the earth. But it's only happening in his vision. See, this is where you get. This is where we make our mistakes. Where is this happening? In the vision. Has it happened yet? Did the God, when John was writing this, had the judgment actually fallen? No, it's only happening in his vision. You have to get that. In the vision, it's happening. And what this vision reveals, and this fire being poured out on the earth, this is what causes the heavenly spectators to go, <gasps> this is what takes their breath away. Seeing what's happening on earth. Not in anticipation so much, but as sadness because of what's happening. And guess what happens there? The silence is broken. See, look what it says there in verse 5. The angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it on the earth. 
And look what happens. The silence is broken. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The trumpets haven't been blown yet. John just seeing these things in his vision. What he's saying is in his vision, the prayers of the saints who are being persecuted are being answered in my vision. But the judgment hasn't literally happened yet. But we're going to get prepared for it. You ready? The seven angels pick up their trumpets, ready to announce the judgment. Du, 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 du. And so that first angel, I think, takes his trumpet in his vision, lifts it to his lips, and is ready to sound the alarm. And then what we have in verses 7 through 13, and then chapter 9, all of chapter 9, 1 through 21, is the blowing of the seven trumpets. And these blowing, the blowing of the seven trumpets is divided into two units. The blowing of trumpets 1 through 4, unit 1, chapter 8. The blowing of trumpets 5 through 7, unit 2, chapter 9. And each trumpet serves a different purpose. Now the key, I think, to understanding all of this is to remember that this language that's being used is symbolic. Y'all, we always, do we agree with that now, that this is all symbolic language? Now, when I say that, I don't mean that John doesn't literally see an incense holder in his vision. In his vision, he literally sees an incense holder. In his vision, he literally sees horses. He literally sees that. In his vision, he literally sees angels, one with the face of a lion, one with the face of something else. Four faces. In his vision, he literally sees them, but guess what? They are symbolic. Although he sees those things literally, they are symbolic and they represent something else. The horse doesn't represent a horse. The angel doesn't represent a lion. That's what he sees, but they represent something else. They have a symbolic meaning. So, is there a literal incense holder in heaven? Is there a literal, literal horse? In, is there a white horse in heaven right now? Is there that's going to one day hop out? Black horse that's suddenly going to come down? No. Does he see it in his vision? Yes. But they're all symbolic. They represent something. And uh, they're all, it's figurative language. And it's our job to interpret what it means. Just like you have a crazy dream. You ever have a crazy dream? I mean, real, real weird dream. And when you see it in your vision, in your dream, your night vision, in your dream, it's real. But guess what? It's not real. So if you can remember it when you wake up, you think, I wonder what that meant. Well, guess what? When we read this, we have to say, I wonder what this means. And because it's not so clear, 
Some people say, well, this is what it means. This means nuclear holocaust. And somebody says, no, it doesn't mean that. And somebody else says, it means. And somebody says, no, it doesn't mean that. And somebody says, yeah, it means. Because it's not that clear. That's why you have all kinds of interpretations and opinions of Revelation. So I'm going to give you one. You know, and guess what? It's as good as any. Okay? And you might have one, that's fine, but guess what? Since, since these are all symbols and they need to be interpreted, we're going to try our best to interpret. Now what I'm trying to do is interpret it in light of John's audience in the first century. What would it mean to seven churches and their members? And then how does it apply to us? Okay. If it's all future, if none of these things happen until at least 2,000 years later, then they don't have any meaning for John's audience. So they have to have some meaning for John's audience. They have to have relevance for John's audience. So we're going to try to find that. Okay, let's look at trumpet number one. Okay, trumpet number one is blown. Verse seven. The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. So it looks like some sort of Announcement about a judgment on the vegetation. That's all I'm going to say about that at this point. Okay? Second trumpet is blown. Look at verse 8. Then the second angel sounded, and there was something like a great mountain burning with fire, and was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Now, very interesting. In his vision, he actually even has a simile in his vision. A figure of speech in his vision. Not everything in his vision is literal. Because look what it says in verse 8. Something like a mountain. You see that? Like? That's a simile. Remember what that was? Not a literal mountain, is it? Something like a mountain that's thrown into the sea. What sea? The sea. Every Jew would know what this sea is. It's the Mediterranean Sea. And this is all symbolic language. But I know what, the, what would happen to the minds of John's people who are reading this. They would think of what happened just six years before. When Mount Vesuvius exploded. It blew the top right off of it. The lava ran down into the city of Pompeii. The whole city was destroyed. Pompeii was destroyed. And the lava went to the sea, affecting the, the sea creatures and the fish. And therefore, there was blood in the sea. It affected commerce. The ships. See what it says at the end of verse 9? A third of the ships were destroyed. Well, if you were in that sea when the Mount Vesuvius exploded, that lava hit your ship was destroyed. So that's what they would have thought of. That was very contemporary. So, in his vision, he sees something like a mountain. And uh, what is he just describing? He's just describing what? Some sort of devastation that's going to happen. Now, this is the announcement of it. Da, 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 da. Expect this. Hadn't happened yet. This is all in his vision. Some people think the mountain represents the government. This is the Roman government collapsing. It's okay what you want to think about all these things. 
But it probably, if ships are destroyed, it affects the economy in some way. Something's going to happen maybe in the economy of the Roman Empire in the time of John's readers. We're just not sure. Can I look at the third trumpet? Verse 10. Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. Notice the phrase, like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the spring water. And the name of that star that fell is Wormwood. And a third of the waters became Wormwood, or bitter. And many men died from the water, the polluted water, because it was bitter. So now we have the fresh waters being polluted because of something like a star that's falling from heaven. Uh, falls like a torch. So, of course, that, if something falls from the house, from heaven like a torch, it looks like a meteorite or something. So we say, well, that's a meteor crashing to the earth. And, uh, uh, other commentators say, well, I don't know. In Revelation 12, we see Satan is cast to the earth. The Bible in the Old Testament says the star, he takes one-third of the stars with him. It could be that. It could be that the star represents Caesar himself, who was the leading star, and behind him was Satan. It could be that Caesar falls. And by the way, Caesar at this time was Domitian. This is written in 95, and Domitian is out of office in 96. Is that the announcement? I'm not sure what the announcement is. I just know it's for John's day. Why do I know it's for John's day? Because these are things which must shortly come to pass. Remember that? Shortly come to pass. Not 2,000 years in the future. Shortly come to pass. Trumpet number four. Then the fourth angel sounded, verse 12. And a third of the sun was struck. Literally? I don't think so. There'd be nothing left with it. We'd go into an ice age. <laughs> a third of the moon, a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened, and a third of the day did not shine. And likewise, in the night, darker days and darker nights, drop of temperature, uh, global cooling. Uh, global warming would be global cooling. <laughs> What in the world is he talking about? Well, we don't know what he's talking about except to say something bad is going to happen. Can we agree with that? See, that's what you need to do is really just find out what the, what the essence of this thing is. Now, let me make some observations about these four trumpets. Unit number one. Okay. First of all, these four trumpet visions, these are all things happening in a vision. They have not happened yet. They all are very similar to the plagues that fell upon Egypt. A government that was oppressive to God's people. God's going to deliver his people. And the government's going to be judged. Hey, Rome, oppressive to God's people. God's people are going to be vindicated and delivered. And the government will be judged. So, if John's readers are reading this, they think of the plagues of Egypt, and they said, deliverance is coming. 
Now, will the plagues be exactly like they were in the days of Egypt? We don't know, but he's using that kind of language, but it's all symbolic in this case. Okay, now, third, second thing I want you to notice, that each one of these trumpets describes some sort of judgment that's linked to the word third. Third. See that? Look at verse 7, at the end of verse 7. And a third of the trees. You see that? A third. Verse 8. Uh, you see that uh, in verse 9, verse 8, the burning mountain falls and uh, affects a third of the sea. And then verse 9, a third of the living creatures. And then the third trumpet. In verse 10, a third of the rivers and the spring waters. And then look at verse 12. Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, moon, stars. A third of them were darkened. A third of the day did not shine. Likewise, a third of the night. Now, what's he saying here? He's saying that these are not going to be, this is not the final judgment. Hey, in the final judgment, when the Lord returns, Guess what? Everything. Everything's gone. Would you agree with that? There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Everything's going to be destroyed. For the old heaven and the old earth are going to just pass away. And everything's going to be made new. So, this isn't describing the judgment at the end of the age, which is still in front of us. This is describing or announcing God's judgment probably on the Roman Empire and relates to the people of John's death. Does that make sense? Spectacular events, but not the final judgment. Not yet. That's going to be described sometime later. Okay. Now look at verse 13. And I looked and I heard the angel, some translations say an eagle, or a vulture, I looked, I heard an angel or an eagle flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, Whoa! 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 Three woes. Woe number one. First woe. Trumpet number five. You're going to see that in chapter nine. Next woe. Trumpet number six. Third woe, trumpet number seven. Now, woes are not judgments. Each woe will represent a different trumpet. The woes are warnings. Not judgments in themselves, warnings. Remember Jesus said, Woe to you scribes and you Pharisees. Remember when he said that? Woe to you... Was he, did he kill them right there on the spot? Did he judge him right? That was a warning. Hey, whoa! If you don't, if you don't what? If you don't repent, there's a judgment coming. So he says there are three more trumpets that are going to announce judgment upon that generation. And those judgments will come with the pouring out of the bowls, God's wrath. So that's what he says. Whoa! And then look what he says. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth! That's where the judgments are going to be poured out. Because of the remaining blast of the trumpets of the three angels, which are 
about the blast. Okay, so that's chapter 8. Now, what in the world is happening here? Uh, what do these symbols represent? Is John saying that the environment's going to be affected in his day? That's how Rome's going to be judged. The economy's going to be affected. The government's going to be affected. There's going to be spiritual and psychological darkness and gloom upon uh, many people's lives. That uh, this is what's going to happen in the near future? Is that what he's saying? Or is he saying this is the ultimate judgment? I think it's the first. This is not the ultimate judgment. He is announcing right here just a... These are judgments that are designed to get the people's attention. You know, when 9-11 happened, remember what we said? What in the world is going on here? Didn't it get our attention? It's got our attention. Things happen to get your attention. And uh, guess what? The next Sunday, more people were in church than any other time in the past hundred years. <laughs> Probably except for, you know, Pearl Harbor was bombed. Because it gets your attention. These are attention-getting devices. And uh, they are there to cause church people who are reading this, because they're going to be reading this. It's designed to get their attention, first of all, so that they do not side with the Roman Empire and bow the knee to Caesar. Because if they do, they're going to get what the Roman Empire gets. You don't want that. You don't want to be a victim here. So he's writing to the churches that they should remain faithful no matter what. And to remind them that although things look like they're getting bad, guess what? God has heard your prayers. Your prayers have been mixed with incense, making them a sweet savor unto the Lord. And he's going to answer those prayers. And this evil that you're experiencing, this oppression you're experiencing, is not going to last forever. It will be judged. And you'll be vindicated. In the end, you'll be vindicated. Rome will be found guilty. Not you. So just trust God. Seek his kingdom first. He'll take care of you. And if you would happen to be martyred for your faith, so be it. Jesus was put to death too, wasn't he? And he refused to bow the knee. But God raised him from the dead, and guess what? He raised him from the dead. So, uh, this book has to relate to John's original audience. It has to be uh, relevant for them. But, the message is true for us as well, isn't it? <laughs> and we need to learn the lessons, because there are times that we have choices to make. Will we side with the values of society? Will we make ethical decisions based on normal, everyday principles that everyone follows? Like looking out for number one. Stabbing someone in the back that I might get ahead. Or whatever. Lying. Or, and in a sense, buying into that system. Say. Or, are we willing to do what Christ is telling the church through John to do? faithful to me, and guess what? You're faithful to me, I'll be faithful to you. In chapter 9, we'll see what these three woes are. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it uh, means so much to us. Uh, when we look at it in context, and we apply it to our own lives. Help, help us, Lord, to be faithful, no matter what the cost. Help us to shine. 
those around us will know that we serve you, a living God and a Savior. Lord, we know that in the end, the saints will be vindicated, evil will be judged, and you will rule over earth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.